Reformed Church. Fear is, is an interesting thing because fear is, is just one of the examples of unbelief, like how it manifests in your mind, right? When you're, when you're in fear about something, and it's funny because as I was looking at this, you know, the Lord begins to teach you something. And if you would have said, you know, Pastor Jose, like, are you fearful about something? I'm like, no, not especially right now. No, right? I'm trusting the Lord. I'm growing in, in the knowledge of Christ, right? But it's funny that after the Lord brings your attention to something, see, I would have never called something in my mind or thoughts that I have as fear. I said, well, yeah, I mean, if you said, are you concerned about, oh, yeah, well, you know, I have concerns about certain things. Well, you can make it as pretty as you want. It's still fear, right? You, you can color code stuff, but it is still things that have their root, really, in just knowledge that you're lacking in your mind about what Jesus Christ has done, right? There it is. When, you, when you're fearing something, that means that the love of Jesus, in other words, the, the love of God that's manifest in Christ having come for us, right? In other words, the, the love of God being manifest on the cross to all the world, when that is not perfect in your mind, in other words, when your mind is not completely renewed, there are parts of your mind, right, that are unrenewed to the truth, right? So when those parts of your mind that are unrenewed to the truth, right, can is where thoughts that are, can be fearful thoughts or concerns or doubt or whatever, that comes from an unrenewed mind, right? When, you know, as I stand here with you today, right, I have a lot of my mind that is renewed to the gospel and I have some of my mind that isn't. So therefore, the things that come out of my mouth and the things that I'm thinking in my mind, some of them come from a renewed mind, right? Some of them come directly from the Lord and other of those thoughts come from an, an unrenewed part of your mind, right? Now, when, when you begin to learn, as we've been learning, right, that discernment about what is true and what is not is based on Jesus Christ, even when you have thoughts that are fearful, right, the Lord reminds you, right, about the finished work of Jesus on the cross. So you begin, you compare the thoughts that you're having to Christ crucified, right? And the Lord then begins to correct your thoughts. In other words, what we call the renewal of the, of the mind can also be called, right, God correcting your thoughts. In other words, he puts truth where before there was untruth, right? In other words, think, any thought that exalts itself above the knowledge of the cross is a lie, Right? Anything that speaks against, in other words, if you say, you know what, the, the, the doctor diagnosed me with X, Y, Z, and you know how it is, you know, there's no cure for it, so I'm going to have to live with it for the rest of my life. If you're a Christian, you're, you, you're accepting and receiving a lie because it, it's not that it's untrue that you have a condition. It's that it's untrue that you have to stick with it, right, because you're living as though he did nothing. Right? In other words, you're thinking, when you think that this is just a lifelong disease that you're never going to get rid of, you're not seeing it in light of him. You're seeing it in light of what the, sci the scientific community says. But Christians get all confused with that, right? And they have for years. Because they say, well, okay, so if I've been diagnosed with something, no, that's a lie, and I'm not sick, and, I, and I'm well, and it doesn't hurt me. And, and if somebody asks me how you're doing, I'm going to say I'm good. There's nothing the matter with me. Well, th that's not helping you, right? You trying to deny the fact that you have a pain is not what helps you. Now, you denying to yourself that Jesus Christ has done something 
something that you could be made well of any condition in this world. In other words, the, the lack of acknowledgement of every good thing that we have in us already in Christ Jesus is, is what makes us receiving of a lie. In other words, that's a deception to us, right? If you deceive yourself into thinking, there's no way out of this. Um, uh, when, when you fear something, you're fearing an outcome. You're fearing uh, inability. You're, feeling, you're, you're, you're fearing your performance. You're, you're fearing whatever, right? You, you're just, you, 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 you have what the Bible calls, right, and we'll talk about it in a second, a, a weak mind. In other words, that there is a weak, there's weakness in your mind. In other words, thoughts that are, that are weakened that need to be that where your mind needs to be strengthened, right? So when you have a, when, when your mind is strengthened by the Lord, right? When your mind is strengthened by the Lord, the Lord says in Ephesians, he says that, that, that we would be strengthened with power in the inner man, right? That we would be strengthened with power in the inner man. The inner man that he's talking about is not your spirit. Your spirit is as strong as it's ever going to be, right? Your spirit is united with the spirit of God. But there is a strength that your inner man needs. In other words, your mind, your mind needs to be strengthened. In other words, your mind needs to be renewed. So um, let, let, me, let me bring you here real quick. Um, if we can go to Nehemiah, Nehemiah chapter 6. Nehemiah chapter 6. Um, and, and what's happening here is Nehemiah had felt very strongly that he needed to return to Jerusalem. Um, I believe that's correct. Um, if, if there's any little bits and pieces about the summary that I'm giving you now, you can read it up for yourself in the book of Nehemiah. But basically the gist of it was, you know, the Lord led him to return to start rebuilding the wall. Um, uh, and I believe it's the wall of uh, around Jerusalem. I, I'm not positive about that, like I said, but because I, I didn't get that far into it. That wasn't my point in this, but um, he, so he begins to work with them to begin to rebuild the wall. And, and even though it seemed impossible to people that were looking on, he began, you know, he started to make really, really good progress, right? Like this thing was getting done. And in verse number, um, verse number what? Verse number, Nehemiah chapter 6, um, in Nehemiah chapter 6 and verse number, let, let's just read verse number 2, I guess. Uh, I guess verse number 1. <laughs> uh, Nehemiah 6, 1. It says, Now it came to pass when Sambalot, if I'm saying that correctly, and Tobiah and Geshem the Arabian and the rest of our enemies heard that I had uh, built the wall and that there was no breach left therein. In other words, it had, the wall was coming up to an extent that there was no holes in the wall. Um, he says, though at the time I had not set up the doors upon the gates, then Sambalat and, and Geshem sent unto me, saying, Come, let us meet together um, in, some, in some one of the villages in the plain of uh, Ano, I guess. He says, but they thought uh, to do me mischief. So in other words, Sambalat, Geshem, and Tobiah, they were men that were coming, but their desire was to disrupt the, the progress that was going on, right? Uh, he said, they intended to do me mischief. And I sent messengers unto them saying, I am doing a great work and I cannot come down. Why should the work cease while I leave it and come down to you? Yet they sent me four times after this sort and I answered them after the same manner. Then uh, sent Sambalat his servant unto me in like manner uh, the fifth time with an open letter in his hand, wherein it was written, it is reported among the heathen and uh, Gashmu, 
saith it, that, uh, that you and the Jews think to rebel, for which cause you build this wall, and, uh, and you may be their king, according to these words. And you have also appointed prophets, he's saying, to preach, uh, preach of thee at Jerusalem, saying there is a king in Judah. So you can see how they're twisting stuff up, right? In other words, obviously, it was prophesied that there would be a king that would come out of Judah, meaning Jesus Christ, right? But they, they were twisting the, the work that they were doing to say that they were just looking to rebel against the existing government. Um, he says, come now, come now, therefore, and let us take counsel together. In verse number eight, then I said unto him, I sent unto him saying, there are no such things done as you say, but you, you, you feignest, if that's how you say it, that word feignest just means you invent them, um, out of your own heart. In other words, you're lying. You're just making this stuff up. Um, in verse number nine, it says, for they all made us afraid saying their hands shall be weakened from the work that it, uh, that it be not done. Now, therefore, O God, right? Nehemiah says, strengthen my hands. Now, now here's an important thing. Uh, the, the, the whole thing about the Lord strengthening their hands, you have to understand, the prayer of Nehemiah was not, Lord, you know, give me the hands of a laborer and the gift to be able to build this for you so that my hands do not tire, right? His problem was not in his physical hands. When he says, Lord, strengthen my hands, you know, the, what, what these men were doing was not coming to him and slashing his hands with a whip so that he couldn't work, right? They, they were messing with his mind, right? They, what they were coming to do was, what, what they were trying to do was disrupt the work, lie against them in order, he said, he said, verse number nine says, for, the, for they all made us afraid. That's fear, right? They made us afraid. So, so, what, so he said that they made them, they were looking to make them afraid to allow fear to come into their minds, right? Um, by the things that they were threatening and saying in order so that their hands would be weakened and that the work would not be done, right? So hands of men and women are not weakened, right? Laborers' hands are not weakened just because they're afraid of something, right? So hands there is referring to something different, right? Because when, when Nehemiah, I, I don't even know that it's even written that Nehemiah was even one of the men actually doing the work, right? He was organizing the work and doing that, but I don't know that he was actually physically one of the laborers. Maybe he was or he wasn't. The point is, the prayer that Nehemiah prayed unto God, and he says, strengthen my hands, was not this, these hands that needed to be strengthened, right? The Lord doesn't say, you know, that if you, if you have strong hands, fear is cast out, right? That's not a verse in the Bible. Fear is cast out, right, through the knowledge of Christ. When the, when the love of God is perfected in your mind, perfected love casts out fear, right? So perfected love casts out fear is not because you feel very strongly affectionate towards someone, right? Perfected love casts out fear means when you understand, when you can see the love of God manifest in Christ, in other words, in the cross, the, the, the cross is the manifestation, the revealing of how much does God the Father love us right? And obviously his son, right? So the manifestation of that love, you know, the feeling that God has towards all humanity was reflected on the cross so that you could see I'm hanging here, right? I'm dying and the one who I'm dying for is for your sin, right? He was manifesting. In other words, God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. The love of God is Jesus Christ and him crucified, right? Um, you know, that's, that's one of the 
initial things that the Lord started to teach us years ago, right, is, is how do you know that God loves you, right? How do you know that he loves you? Well, people question that today. Even people within the church, when some, a circumstance happens that they, 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 they see that as a negative thing that's occurred in their lives, they begin to question the love of God. Well, well the love of God is not, is, it's not like, it, it's not by circumstance of whether they happened to you or not, whether you had a good day or not, whether your boss yelled at you or not, whether you were diagnosed with something or not. The love of God is manifest on the cross by Jesus Christ. And the more and more that we understand and see that love, the more that we become, we become right, we're saved, right, at one point, and we become partakers of what he died to give us, right? I mean, that's how you receive from God. You receive from the things that God has given you by your faith in what Jesus Christ has accomplished. That's why we have made such a huge emphasis on the finished work of Jesus Christ. Not the work of Jesus Christ, not the labor of Jesus, the finished work of Jesus Christ. That's not the same thing, right? The church will admit that Jesus Christ labored for us, but they won't act and teach that everything was finished on the cross. They still think that there are things that the church has to help them out with right? Like you got to help Jesus. You, you have to do this. You have to be a minister. You have to be an evangelist. You have to do this. You have to do that. It's actually all the opposite. <laughs> all the opposite. Like who you were before you were saved and who you were after you get saved, you became a new creation. He didn't supplement your old self and bring over all your good qualities over here and then, you know, it's like 40% you, 60% Jesus, right? You became new. He didn't say, out. in other words, out with the old, in with the new, Corinthians says, right? Old things are passed away. That means, for lack of tra a clearer translation, dead, right? It's no good. In other words, you kicked it to the curb. None of it was any good. But, but Christians today still think, oh, you know, it's just, it's in my personality. I'm, I've always been a caring person. Well, you know what? That's not the way it works. If you were, quote, unquote, a caring person before, it's because of what you could get from it and the notoriety that people could do you and the pat on the back that you were getting from being so kind, right? When you become a new creation, there is not an ounce of you that God says, you know what? You know Jesus, my son, at my right hand, you know, you, you did have to die for their sin, but, you know, that one right there, there is a little glimmer of good in there, right? And listen, Christians watch movies, and, you, and, and, and they hear people say, you know, there's a little good in everyone, and they'll say, that's true. No, it's not true. It is not true. It's not good. Apart from Jesus Christ, he says, there are none that does good. No, not a single one. Not a single one. And as long as you think that there is something good about you, you're going to still try to use that good for him. Like God ever asked us to do anything for him. Like where in scripture do we ever see that, you know, I love them so much that I'm sending you, Jose, so that you can use the talents that you were born with to go and minister to them because you're such an understanding, kind individual. That's why I'm sending you. No. It's, it's the exact opposite. There is nothing about me that God looks at and says, you know what? I don't want to get rid of that part. I want to keep that part of the old you. Actually, in reality, the old me is already dead, right? The only thing that's not dead is the remnant still swirling around in my mind about how things used to be. And, and it is that complete renewal of the mind that God wants to do. In other words, he wants you to know, this is who I've made you today. 
You are a son. You are the head. You are not the tail. I have set you above all principality and power and dominion. I have seated you with Christ in heavenly places. I have put every good thing on the inside of you. It is no longer you that live, but it is Christ that lives in you. And that life that you're living now in the flesh, you're going to live it by faith in my son who loved you and gave himself for you. But the church doesn't live that out like that. They don't want to believe that they're dead and it's no longer them that live, but it's Christ that lives. They say, well, I want Jesus to live, but I still want my good qualities to stand out, right? You, you can never, and I've said it before, and I'll say it a thousand million more times, you will never glorify God with your talent. God is not glorified with your talent. You are, right? You're glorified with your talent. Like when a monkey puts together a puzzle, does God get the glory or does the monkey get the glory? The monkey, right? always gets the glory. The monkey is the one that gets the treat, sticks it, they stick it in his mouth and he eats it because of what he's done, right? We are no more monkeys of this world, right? But we have been given the spirit of the living God and he has come and inhabited us so that he would be able to be the one working, right? There is a, an inkling that I have and I would have to look at this more to make it a bit firmer to you. But when he says that your hands are weakened and that the work is not done, the one that was working Right In Nehemiah, and the one that was working and making all this happen for the wall in Jerusalem to be built up was God, right? He was the one that was doing that. He was the one that put it in his heart. He was the one that was bringing craftsmen. He was the one that was making this all possible and making this doable, right? The, when he says that our hands would be weakened, right, it is for the heart of Nehemiah, right, the heart of Nehemiah, and the heart of the people to be moved away from the gospel. Nehemiah was taught the same gospel that I was. Nehemiah was taught the same gospel that you're being taught, right? And it, it is from that gospel that God wanted their hearts moved away, right? Sorry, not God, God forbid, right? It was, it was, it was from that gospel that Tobiah, Geshem, that these men wanted their hearts moved away. And if they could move their heart away from the living God, then the work would fail. That's a given, right? What, what, is it, what is it that this world and the God of this world would desire to happen to you? It's not about trying to kill you. It's about moving your heart away from the gospel. And it's not that he's talking to you in your brain either, because obviously it's the, it's the spirit of God that lives in you, not the devil occupying 50% of you and, and God occupying the other 50, right? God is the one that lives in you, and he doesn't share this vessel with anyone, right? But, but there is a hearing. There are people that are sent. There are messengers that are sent, right? There are messengers that are sent and people that speak in order so that you would be discouraged in your mind, right? And if your mind can be discouraged, and that just doesn't mean, oh, woe is me. That means your mind has moved away from the truth, the truth of what you have, the truth about what Jesus has done. Then the work of the Spirit of God can begin to weaken, right? The work of the Spirit of God, right, can begin to weaken. Why? Because your heart is moved away. But what does God want to do? The Lord wants you, in the middle of anything that's going on, he wants to bring correction to your mind. Like that is, if you are a son, let, let, me, let me just read that to you. Let me, let me read that to you. In, um, in, 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 in Hebrews, Hebrews chapter 3, and actually, you know what, before I bring you to Hebrews chapter 3, let me just read a couple of quick things to you, and then we'll go to Hebrews chapter, um, it's actually Hebrews chapter 12, but let's, let's go real quick to Isaiah 35. Isaiah 35, verse number 3. Um, I'll read it to you quickly. He says here, strengthen 
strengthen you the weak hands and, and confirm or make firm the feeble knees. So you see here the same thing about strengthening weak hands. Like you, you got to ask yourself, what is the thing with the hands, right? Strengthen the weak hands. Like wh- why is it so important for me to have strong hands, right? He says, and, and confirm the feeble knees. Now it's talking about hands and knees, right? He says in verse number four, say to them that are of a what? A fearful heart. A fearful heart. So if you have weak hands, right, one of the things that he's talking about here is a fearful heart. In other words, when there is unbelief in your mind, right, Jesus would have said, oh, you of little faith, right? But when, 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 when the, the unrenewed parts of your mind need to be strengthened, but that doesn't mean like, like, um, like he wants to take what's there and build it up. What, what he means there is he wants to correct that. He wants to renew that, right, in your mind. So, so he says, say to them that are of a fearful heart, be strong, right? So he just said, strengthen your weak hands. And he's saying here, those that are of a fearful heart, be strong, fear not, right? Behold, your God will come with vengeance, even God with a recompense. He will come and save you. That's what? A prophecy of who? Jesus Christ, right? So he was prophesying in, in Isaiah 35 that you that have fear in your heart, look ahead to the Messiah that will come, put your faith in Jesus, and fear will go away, right? Put your faith in a Messiah that would come. Abraham put his faith in a Messiah that would come, and fear could be cast out, right? The same way today, when we learn the gospel, fear is cast out, right? So here he says, he says, uh, He will come and save you. Verse number five says, then the eyes of the blind, listen, then the eyes of the blind shall be opened and the ears of the deaf shall be unstopped. Then shall the lame man leap as a a heart and the tongue of the dumb sing for in the wilderness shall be, shall waters break out and streams in the desert, right? You know what that is all, obviously this is prophesying about Jesus Christ. So right after saying he will come, meaning Jesus and he will save you, he starts getting into the eyes of the blind shall be opened, the ears of the deaf. If you remember in Luke chapter 7, I'll read this to you. We don't have to go there, but Luke chapter 7, 20, if we can go there, that's fine. It says, when the men had come to him, to Jesus, they said, John the Baptist has sent us to you saying, are you the coming one or do we look for another? Right? And at that very hour, he cured many of infirmities, afflictions, and evil spirits, and to many blind he gave sight. And Jesus answered to them in verse 22, and he said, Go tell John the things that you have seen and heard, that the blind see, the lame walk, the lepers are cleansed, the deaf hear, and the dead are raised, and the poor have the gospel preached to them. That is, the poor having the gospel preached to them, Pastor Mike touched on this about the poor being the poor in spirit, not the poor financially, right, but the poor in spirit right that that's that's talk that's where he's getting that from Isaiah right Isaiah prophesied that and he said that they would come in in the wilderness shall waters break out and streams in the desert I believe that's talking about the spirit of God coming to live on the inside of us right the waters coming into a dry place right um so you see there again, the hands being strengthened were, were being tied again to what? To fear, right? You are, that are of a fearful heart. He said, be strong. When the Lord was um, in, in Ephesians chapter 6, the Lord talks about the armor of God, right? He said, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might, right? It, it is your heart that needs to be strengthened, right? The armor, I think we have, there's a short that you can read called, I think the armor of God is for your mind, right? 
you can see that the armor of God is all of it. It's for your mind. When you have a strong mind, guess what? You'll have a strong everything. <laughs> you have boldness. You'll, you'll, you'll speak with boldness. In other words, the, the Lord says that you can come to him, right? you can come with boldness and receive grace to help in time of need, right? Where does that boldness come from? A heart that is strong, a mind that is renewed to the truth about Jesus Christ, right? Um, now let's go real quick, Hebrews chapter 12, where we said, Hebrews chapter 12 and verse number th- um, 1 is fine, 12, 1, 12, 1, right, we're going to start the descent here to uh, kind of like in a plane, right, you start descending and you know that you're almost there, we're almost closing here. He says, wherefore, seeing we also are encompassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which does so easily beset us and let us run within, with patience Right? Some translations say with endurance, let us run with patience the race that is set before us. Right? That's knowing Jesus. Right? Knowing Jesus. Verse number two says, looking unto Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him, he endured the cross, despising the shame, and, has, and is set down at the right hand of the throne of God. So you know right? he's, he's bringing our attention to Christ and him crucified. And you'll see when the Lord is trying to teach you something, what is he going to do? Bring your attention to what? Christ and him crucified. Right? That's what scripture testifies of. And then he says in verse number three, for consider him, right? Not consider you, not your circumstance, not, not the people that are threatening you, not the, the overwhelming odds, whatever it is, right? It's, it's consider him, right? That, that's, where, that's, where things be, that's where fear begins to fall off. Regardless of what it is that you have fear about in your mind, that fear begins to fall off when you consider him. It says, consider him that endured such contradiction of sinners against himself, lest you be wearied and faint where? In your minds. Faint where? In your minds. It's not about fainting your hands physically, the strength of your hands fainting or failing. It is your mind, your heart failing, right? Being moved away from the gospel. Verse number four says, yet you, it says, you have not yet resisted unto bloodshed striving against sin. And and have you forgotten, it says, listen, to this, this is important. And have you forgotten the exhortation? He's talking here about minds not fading. And all of a sudden, he's going to begin to talk about how God exhorts us as children. Look at what it says. Have you forgotten the exhortation which speaks unto you as children? My son, despise not thou the chastening of the Lord, nor faint when you're rebuked by him. Do you know the heresy that people teach from this verse? People teach that the chastening of the Lord, because it can also be translated like discipline or correction, people believe and use this verse to believe it, right? That God takes and allows bad things to happen to you. That he will allow sickness and disease and God will punish you in order to discipline you. Now, you could say, well, I don't know, I kind of I believe that too. Or you could say, well, I, I used to think that way too. Well, if, if, if that's not true, then why is it? He punished his only begotten son. What punishment does the church actually think is still left over after that? What punishment could, what sin could God ever punish you for? What sin could he ever punish you for? What wrongdoing? Sin is just something wrong that you do. What wrongdoing could God ever justly punish you for when he punished all of your sin in the body of his son? Why would people say things like that? Why would people utter such heresy against Jesus, right? Because they read the Bible and they are not measuring it up to him. They read the Bible and they, you know what they do? What? They do this thing that the Lord tells us never to do. Lean on your own understanding. 
right? You know how, how you go to school and you learn math? That's called leaning on your own understanding, right? When, when somebody teaches you math, when they teach you writing and reading, right, you lean on your own understanding. That's not how Bible works. That's not how the Spirit of God works. You could be the worst student. You could be completely illiterate. You don't have no idea how to read, and the Spirit of God will minister the gospel to you. Even if you can't even physically read a Bible, you can know God more than people that have a Ph.D. can read the Bible. Why? Because you allow the Spirit of God to teach you. That's all. You know what? There are many people that even to this day uh, count us as people that they're against. And you know why? Because the only thing we did is that we pushed away from them for a time. We love them, right? Love them with all, with all my heart, right? With all our heart, we love them. But we had to push away. Why? Because you believe one way and we believe another. So we had to just for a time, and these weren't people that were coming to the church. This is, these are just, you know, for, there was a time when we pushed away from every church. We wouldn't take invitations to anything. We were just, we, we were just learning. And you know what the Lord reminded me of this morning? He said, you know what? That's the same thing that I did with Saul that became Paul, right? He went away for years. For years he went away. He said, and I taught him. And then when he came back, he came and brought that gospel to the apostles, and he said, look at what the Lord has taught me, and it jived with them. And they're like, yeah, that's the same thing that he's taught us, right? But, but, but to many, it, it's almost like it was almost thought, or probably still is thought in some cases, almost like we're against people or socialization or events. But it's not any of that, right? It's that we needed to be taught, right? How, how else can you be taught? You know, there is a desire that God puts on the inside of it and says, you know what? You got to get away from tradition, right? If a tradition is Christ-centered, then keep it. But if it's not of God, it has to go, right? So you get very, you get to a point where you're like, you know what? I'm, I'm not saying everything and even the way that we did things was right. I'm just saying that one thing that we were sure that we had to do is we had to stop hearing so much stuff and we had to just let the Lord teach us, right? It had to be that, right? And if it wasn't that, it wasn't going to get done. So we allowed the Lord to do that and now we are where we are today. Well, you know what? And unfortunately, I've tried to reach out to those people after, you know what, our head is screwed on straight. We know we are, but we've allowed the Lord to teach us, and they want have nothing to do with me, and that's okay, right? Still love them, still love them. But the point is that, that you know, you, you have to allow the Lord to be able to bring you to a place where he says, everything you hear, measure it against me. The doctor tells you something, measure it against me and what I've done. This one tells you something that hurt your feelings, measure it against what I've done. This one says, you know what, I don't love you, measure it against the love that I have showed to you, right? We, we are people that are not needing of love. We have love, and we have brothers and sisters that love us all around us, right? But we are not needy people of love, right? I don't come into a relationship needing my wife to love me, right? If she don't love me, Jesus still does. If she don't love me anymore, Jesus still does. And my world does not crumble if my wife walks out on me, right? It does not crumble because my life is not dependent on a relationship. My life is in Christ, right? My life is in Christ. He is the one, right, where my mind is. Now, you know what? The awesome thing that happens is when you're married to, to, to a person that is saved, guess what you get to do? You get to give to one another. You don't have to take from one another. You get to give to one another. That is a whole different proposition, right? That's like having two people that are very wealthy, and you know what? It's not about what you're going to give me. I just want to give you, and you have the means to give it, right? When you have the means with which to give to somebody and you do it, that's an awesome thing, and I need nothing back from you. 
Like, you can't even deplete what I have, right? So when you can't deplete my love because I have so much of it to give, right? The love of God lives on the inside of me. I'm not dependent on what you're going to give me. And, oh, you didn't, you didn't call me today. You didn't do this. Listen, if you don't talk to me for four months, I'm still good. I'm still good. And I love you with all, I love you with everything. As much as you can love an individual with the love of God, right? I love you. But there's a difference, right? Miss Lindsay was praying about that. We won't go into that. But if you were listening, with, and I would encourage you to do that, right? When, when we're having praise and worship, don't make it a, a time where you're trying to sound like you're singing with a really good voice because that don't mean nothing, right? When you're singing, listen to what you're saying. Listen to what the person that's praying is ministering. And, and the Lord can minister stuff to you. I'll tell you, he does all the time. He does all the time. Anyway, let's keep going because I told you I was going to wrap up and we are. Um, in, 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 in the same chapter, Hebrews chapter 12, where, where do we leave off? Do we even know verse number five? Have you forgotten the exhortation? He says the chastening of the Lord. He says nor faint when the Lord rebukes you. What he's talking about there is correcting. Because at first, when you're so held, believe me, I, I told you where I came from. I was, I was saved in an assembly of God church. Then I went to a Pentecostal church, right? Even those two things are drastically different. Now coming to where we are today, right? I don't, we're not Pentecostal, we're not Assembly of God, we're nothing. We just love Jesus, that's it, right? I don't have to identify with a person, with somebody that wrote a book, it really doesn't matter. Just Christians that have a church, right? So, so where we are today, right, he, he, he says, he, he, has, he has to correct your mind from all this traditional thing. Lots of good teaching, right? I was saved at that initial church. Obviously, the gospel was preached to me there, otherwise I wouldn't have been saved, Right? But there was a lot of traditional stuff that was ingrained in my mind. After like 20 years, there's a lot of stuff in there, right? And when the Lord goes to correct that, you're like, ooh, that feels a little weird. What's that? Uh, I believed in that for the last 15 years. You're telling me now it's not true? At first, that's like, ooh. And then you keep listening. You're like, you know, that doesn't feel comfortable, but that sounds right, what you're saying, right? So after a while, you're like, okay, at first it doesn't feel too good. And after a while, you're like, you know what? That's really good. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, and you're looking like, oh, every time you're saying something, it ends up with Jesus. I like that. I like that. Keep talking. I like that, right? And the more and more that the Lord teaches you and brings your heart to Jesus, you're like, you know what? It's not painful anymore. I like that. I like that. So you go from a place where you don't really like correction, where it seems painful to you, where you begin to really like correction. And the Lord says then in verse number six, for whom the Lord loves he chastens, scourges every son whom he receives. In other words, if you're a son, God's going to correct you. And what he's going to make a point here and say in verse number seven, if you endure correction and chastening, God is dealing with you as sons. For what son is he whom the father chastens not? In other words, that's not talking about, you know, who doesn't have a father, their father doesn't beat him to death, right? That the father doesn't give him, you know, poison in the morning if you did something wrong. That's not what he's talking about. It's if a father corrects you, and that's what he says here. He said, but if you are without, it says, if, 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 you, if you be without chastisement or correction, whereof we are all partakers, then you are bastards and not sons. In other words, then you're not a son. You know why? Because if you're not a son, you don't have the Spirit of God. And if you don't have the Spirit of God, God cannot correct your mind, right? He can't renew your mind if you don't have the Spirit of God in you to correct it, to renew it, right? So he's saying your mind cannot be renewed. And then he says, he said, furthermore, we have had fathers of our flesh who corrected us. You see now when he starts changing the lingo, but you see what he's talking about. He said, we had fathers that corrected us, and we gave them reverence, right? Shall we not much more rather be in subjection or subject your heart to the Father of spirits and live? Why? Because when you subject your heart to the Lord and he renews your mind, guess what is the result? 
of that. Life, life comes, right? Life comes from the gospel. Um, and, so, and, and, I'll, and I'll stop here. It says in verse number 11, I'll read 11 through 13, and we're going to stop there. Now, no chastening for the present seems to be joyous. It doesn't mean that it's not joyous. It, does, it doesn't seem to be joyous, but grievous. It says, nevertheless, afterward it yields the peaceable fruit of righteousness unto them which are exercised by them. So can I tell you something? Righteousness or right things coming out of us comes only by faith, Right? If really what this was really talking about was God giving you a disease, I have never read anywhere that righteousness comes from a disease, right? It just doesn't happen, right? The righteousness of God does not proceed from a disease. The righteousness of God comes from faith in Jesus, right? So that's why he says there, he says, he says the righteousness, uh, the fruit of righteousness unto them that are exercised thereby. Wherefore, now watch where he comes with the hands again. Therefore, it says, lift up the hands which hang down and the feeble knees. The same reference as before. Weak, in other words, lift up the hands that hang down is a lot. Subject your heart to the Lord and, and receive the knowledge of the truth, right? And the feeble knees. He says, make straight paths for your feet. The same similar thing that was told John the Baptist, right? That he was making straight the way of the Lord, right? He, sa- he says, he said, make straight paths for your feet, right? With the gospel, right? The armor of God talks about that your feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace, right? Make straight paths for your feet, lest that which is lame, watch this, and we're going to end right here, but listen carefully, and make straight paths for your feet, lest that which is lame be turned out of the way, but let it rather be healed. In other words, if, if, if what he's talking about here about your feet and your knees and your hands is about your mind, right? What he's saying is make straight paths for your feet so that instead of that which is lame, be moved away from the gospel, be moved away, turned away, he, he, he calls it there, be turned away from the gospel. He said instead, he said, let it be healed. So in other words, even though you have concerns about stuff, you're fearful about something, you're, you, you know, you, you're the kind of mom, let's say, well, you know, like people say, oh, if you're a good mom, you're a good dad, you always worry about your kids. Well, that's not good, right? That's not what the Lord wants you to have, fear in your heart because you love someone. He wants, to have, he wants you to, to have faith and knowing that the prayers of righteous men avail much. In other words, when you speak out of faith in Christ, right, that has wonderful results, right? So, so, so what he's saying here is instead of when that, that which is lame, in other words, that which is weak, can actually be strengthened if you just continue therein. We hope you enjoyed this message from Reformed Church. If you have, please share this with someone else and help us get this unpopular message to the world. If you'd like to support Reform Church, you can do so at reforminus.com give. Also on our website, you can take advantage of our free messages, articles, and even full discipleship courses. Start reforming your mind now at reforminus.com.